think it's good to talk about faith. I think it's a good thing for us to talk about. So if you have your copy of God's Word, why don't you go ahead and open it up to 1 Samuel 14. 1 Samuel 14. I don't know if you know by now, but I like First and Second Samuel. Uh, preached, uh, I think my last sermon that I preached was from First uh, Samuel, or maybe it was Second Samuel. Um, t- today the message is titled, Faith is the Victory. And that is true for us as believers. Faith is the victory. Make note of this verse that will come up on the screen as you're still flipping to 1 Samuel 14. In 1 John 5, 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Most of you are in First Samuel chapter 14 by now. Let me pray. Let's go to God before we go to His Word and let, uh, let Him bless the preaching and the reading and the teaching of His Word today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much, God, for Your goodness. God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray, God, that You would use it. I pray, God, that You would preach. I pray, God, that You would teach. I pray, God, that You would open our hearts, that You would implant Your precious Word. God, teach us what it means to have faith. Give us faith today to believe that we can have faith in You today. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So by now you're at 1 Samuel 14. So just hang on there. We'll get to that in a second. Um, I've said um, before, and I'll say again, and you'll hear me say this a lot, that our faith is the victory that, is, that overcomes the world. Meaning that if you have faith in a sovereign Lord, if you have faith in Christ, you are an overcomer. Amen. We, don't, we forget that all the time. We remind ourselves all the time that we're not overcomers for some crazy reason. I think that's Satan. But we, in Christ, are overcomers. What is faith? I think everybody in here is saying, you know, I want to have faith. Keep the faith. Share the faith. What is faith? Well, let's look at, let's, let's define faith a little bit and then we'll get into our main passage this morning. Defa- faith defined. You can find a good definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The verse will come up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now some of you are like, well, I don't really really know what that means. (laughs) What does that mean? That's the best definition that the Bible gives us of faith. Well, let me kind of simplify it a little bit. Let me kind of put cookies on the bottom shelf for you so you kind of have a good understanding of what faith means. It's, It's like an intellectual agreement with trust displayed in action. Many of you have seen the uh, illustration of, of faith, meaning that, well, here's this chair. We know that this chair is a chair because we know what a chair is, right? Everybody in here knows what a chair is. You intellectually understand and agree that that's a chair. But until you put that understanding into action, you haven't had faith, you haven't trusted that, that, that this chair is going to do what it's meant to do. And that is to what? For you to sit on it, right? I didn't sit on the chair. I must not have faith in that chair. Does that make sense? So understanding and knowing what something is capable, capable of doing and putting that understanding into action. That's kind of like a good definition for you about faith. You can use that. Talk to your friends about that. Talk to your coworkers about that. What does it mean to have biblical faith? Well, let's put it like this. It means an understanding of the biblical truths about who God is and reordering one's life to reflect those truths. 
basically understanding who God is and having a seat on who He is. Trusting that that's who He is and having a seat. Now, faith, biblical faith, is both active and passive. Now, what does that mean? Active and passive. Active means biblical faith requires something from your, from your end. It requires you to say, yes, I believe that God is who He says He is. And I'm going to put that faith into action. And I'm going to rest and I'm going to have a seat on who He is. And I'm going to put that faith into action. But also, it's passive. Biblical faith is passive, meaning this. It doesn't come from you. God gives faith. It's from Him. When I was a kid growing up, I loved the Indiana Jones movies. And um, maybe I've shared this before, but uh, a good way for me in my mind to understand what faith is like is, is when uh, Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade, and he's, he's looking over that chasm. There's an empty space there. The book says that there's an invisible bridge. He looks out there. He doesn't see the bridge. But he takes this big step of faith, puts, it, puts what he sees in the book into action, and he steps and he walks across this invisible bridge. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I just that's Spoiler alert, alert. I'm sorry. Maybe you haven't seen the movie. He sees from the book, the book says that this is what is going to happen. And he puts that understanding, that faith into action. That's, that's, that's a good understanding for me in my uh, kid of the 80s mind of biblical faith. Basically, let me say it like this. Knowing what God is calling you to do and doing it. Biblical faith. That happens every morning when you wake up. Before your feet hit the floor. And put in your mind who God is. And then put into action your trust in who God is. And daily live a life of faith. And also, it not just happens every day, but it happens, for example, a picture will come up on the screen. When uh, Diane Johnson went by herself this past week to Moldova. She knows, she knew that God was calling her to be involved with the lives of those orphans and those uh, wonderful people in Carpignan, Moldova. I want to invite you to visit that place one day. It's a wonderful place. She knows that God is calling her to go. She put that faith into action and she went. She had a wonderful time, didn't you? She's nodding her head. She's got her t-shirt on. She's representing that's faith in action. That's tomorrow. Praying with your coworker who's going through something difficult. God puts you there with them so you could be a light, so you could exercise your faith, so they could see you exercise your faith, and you can go to that person and lift them up. Or it's sitting with the lonely outcast kid at the cafeteria. Young people, you know what I'm talking about. That new kid that shows up in town. I'm telling you, it's hard being a new kid. I showed up at a new town the summer before my sixth grade year. That was tough. I needed somebody who would exercise biblical faith and just be a, fr a friend. Or maybe next picture, you see uh, Destiny. Her first mission trip. She goes to the Dominican Republic. She passes out bags of rice and beans. And she shares the gospel. And she's praying with this lady who needs a touch from the Lord. She's exercising biblical faith right there. Or maybe it's giving up your time of vacation to serve in vacation Bible school. 
That's faith. That's acting out faith right there, serving in VBS. Or maybe it's pouring over the Scripture, preparing for your Sunday school class. Or maybe it's moving to South Carolina when God opens the door that you've been praying for Him to open. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Or it's preaching in a pulpit that's been covered in dust for years. This means a lot to me. Because over 10 years ago, I visited this church and I knew that they needed someone standing in that pulpit every week preaching the Word of God. And this past, uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, I was able to visit Mark in his church and see him preaching in that pulpit. That right there is an answered prayer right there. Mark and Penny go and Leave the comfort of what they know here because God is calling them. God's nudging them. He's telling them what to do. And then they put their faith into action. And they go. Or maybe it's bringing clean drinking water to the jungles of Brazil before you even enter the seventh grade. It's Annalise Royston right there. Our Brazil team is on the ground right now. Because faith in action does this. Or maybe it's simply waking up in the morning and before your feet hit the floor, you thank God for another day. You say, today, God is yours. Or maybe it's joining 3,200 other people to rebuild tornado ravaged Tupelo. This next picture is our team with eight days of hope. They left Saturday. I wish I was up there with them. What a blessing that that they get to receive and also be for those people in Tupelo who lost so much through the storm. This is biblical faith in action. And you know what's a blessing for me standing up here? As I look across this room right here and I see people exemplifying biblical faith in action all the time. I've only mentioned a few this morning. Maybe it's hosting a connect group. Or the next picture, maybe it's being a student leader or an adult helper at camp this past week. The students just got back from camp last night. It's a lot of work to go and lead and help out with that, isn't it? Camp's tough. But you know what? It's biblical faith in action. What is the opposite of faith? And we talk, we talk about faith. We talk about how it's, what, what the Bible says is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's about taking that intellectual agreement and understanding of something and putting a trust, displaying that trust in action. I think the opposite of faith, the opposite of that is probably fear. Faith and fear. We need to live lives, we need to operate our lives, not based on fear of the unknown, but based on faith of who is known by us, and that is God. See, every day we are we are in the hanging in the balance whether or not we're going to live our day based on faith or based on fear. The decisions you make, they're going to be based on faith or they're going to be based on fear. The big decisions that we make as a church, they're going to be based on faith or they're going to be based on fear. And I pray for me, I pray that my God looks down at me and says, you've based your decisions in your life based on faith, not fear. Faith is believe with your mind and heart, act upon that. Fear is to doubt and then freeze. And so many of us have missed out on something wonderful 
that I believe God had right in front of you. And instead of stepping in faith, you got afraid. And what would you do? You froze. And you look back and you say, man, I wish I had faith. What is fear? Let's define fear. One, dec- one uh, dictionary defines it as a distress- distressing emotion aroused by impeding danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined. Sometimes when we talk about fear, there's, there's a couple of ways that maybe we can define fear. Like when you spook someone. I know some of y'all are pranksters in here, right? And you wait around the corner for someone to walk around the corner. And you, and you pop out at them. That, that's a kind of fear like a... Like a you know, you take takes your breath away, your heart jumps up into your throat, and then you punch someone in the throat. That kind of fear. Um, so there's different kinds of fear. I was in line the pharmacy. This was a, couple, a few weeks back, and um, I don't know if you're ever in line at the pharmacy. The drive-through it takes a long time, right? It's late at night. I'm getting a prescription for my youngest daughter Maggie, and I'm sitting in line, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and it's late, and I'm tired. The prescription's ready. I need to get this medicine to my sweet baby girl, and I gotta wait. And I got to wait. I'm sitting in here. Here, There's another car in front of me. And then there's a car sitting there waiting. And I'm not, I'm not real sure what they're doing inside. If they're like trying to throw the pills and catch them. To, I, mean, I don't know why it takes 45 minutes to put 10 pills in a cup. It takes a long time though. But anyway, I'm waiting. The car that's waiting at the line, they pull away. The car that's right in front of me does nothing. It just is, is still. And so I'm like... I'm like, I'm trying to get it, get that person's attention somehow. Then, you know, you little bump the horn a little bit, boop, and, and nothing. Bump the horn again, boop, boop, nothing. So I get out of my truck. It's about, I don't know, 1030 at night in Walgreens line. And I go over to the car and there's this lady sitting in the car in front of me. And her head is off to the side and her eyes are closed and her mouth is open. And I'm like, she's dead. <laughs> they should have hurried up and get her her medicine. Come on, Walgreens. And so I'm looking at her. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm afraid. I, I tap on the window. Nothing. I hit it a little harder. Nothing. And the line over here has already gone through four cars. And I'm thinking, I should have been in another line instead of trying to resuscitate some dead person. I tap on the window again. This time, I'm like hurting my hand. And when I did that, she wakes up and she turns and goes, Wah! I was so... I mean, my heart jumped out of my head. I mean, it was... And she put... And I'm like... I just walk... I didn't... I, I mean, what do you say? I just get back in the truck and I'm like... I'm just like... Right? Are you with me? Okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm just like, Bleh! I don't even know what, what to do. She pulls up, she clicks the button. They give her medicine quick because she's been waiting a long time. I mean, I had to bring her back to life to get that medicine. And I pull up and they ask me the birth date of my daughter. And I'm looking at her, I, 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 I don't even know. I have no idea. I pull up and when she asks me what, what I'm here for, I'm, I, I forget. And I'm, I just look at the lady, I'm like, um, my, I'm, I'm the dad of a kid that needs a mess. That, you know what I'm talking about, that kind of fear. Maybe you got a story where somebody spooked you. They really got you good. Well, that's one kind of fear. You get spooked and you jump and you, and you calm down. There's another kind of fear that like when you're in a scary situation, 
And maybe you've been in a scary situation where you're like, I don't know what to do right now. Maybe you're in a room full of people that are, I don't know, and you're in a, you're in a scary situation. You have to make a decision, and that decision is going to affect the outcome of that scary situation here. You know what I'm talking about? That's not a spook, heart in your throat kind of scare. That's a different kind of scare, right? You know, um, and we mostly pretty much want to avoid those, right? Nobody's saying, you know what? I'm going to put myself in an incredibly scary situation today. We avoid those types of situations. When we went to the Grand Canyon, there's a, a thing that you can do at the Grand Canyon called a skywalk. And I think I have a picture of the skywalk. The skywalk is a glass bridge that they built that use around like, like that over the Grand Canyon. You have to wear these special socks. Some of you are thinking, there's no way I'm going to put myself in that scary situation. See, we didn't do it because it costs $90 a person to do it. That's why we didn't do it. I would have done it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid to do that. But this next picture, a guy named Nick, this is what he does at the Grand Canyon. I would not put myself in that scary situation. I would be too scared to do that. And everybody in here, because you're my friend and because you are sane, you would be too afraid to do that as well. So you got this spook kind of fear. Your heart jumps. And you got this scary situation type fear. You can take that picture off. It's disturbing. Thank you. <laughs> but you know, you, you, you get to the point to where you're in life, you go through scary times. And we were swimming and... Uh, you know, I like to throw my kids when I'm in the pool. And I, I got this one throw that I do that I grab under the leg and I grab the arm. And when I throw, I spin like this. And I call it the helicopter. It looks awful. My kids are like, and they do belly flops, back flops. And you should see the expression on their face of complete fear. <laughs> so the question that we ask ourselves, would a good father, listen to me, would a good father deliberately put his child in a fearful or even unsafe situation? Don't answer out loud. <laughs> See, I'm not even answering. I'm not talking about irresponsible. I'm not talking about some foolish situation that's surely going to end in peril or broken bone. But a dangerous situation where that good father lets that kid go out there a little bit and just kind of see how they react to that fearful, unsafe situation. Come on, son, you can make that jump. Get me down. Get me down, daddy. Get me down. Nope, you can make that jump. I can't make that jump. You, you're going to make that jump. What a good God deliberately put his child in a dangerous situation. Unsafe. I love the story in Matthew chapter 14 where Peter walks on the water. Hey, we don't get to do that, do we? And I love that. And when I'm reading things like that in Scripture, I think of like the conversations that happen when Peter gets back in the boat. And I know there's a disciple in the boat that said, Peter, you had no business being out there. Sorry about that. You have no business being out there on that water. That's crazy. Yet, Jesus standing on the water, when Peter says, Lord, if that's you, call me. I'm going to come. Jesus said, come on. And Peter's the one that got to walk on the water. He's the one that got to step out of the boat in the crazy unsafe situation. I mean, there's death waiting in the balance in that situation. Wouldn't you agree? You don't get to walk on water. Peter got out of the boat, though. Jesus said, 
one of the defining moments that you will have in your life is when everybody else is looking at you and God is going, and you step out of the boat. And everybody's like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? You have no business doing that. You don't walk on water. But the whole time, Jesus is saying, come. When we start unpacking Scripture, and you start looking at fear in Scripture, you find that there are really two types of fear mentioned in the Bible. There's a fear that is to be desired. And that's fear of the Lord or fear of God. You hear people use it wrong. They say, but the fear of God and that boy. That's not, used, that's not what we're talking about here. The fear of God is different. The fear of the Lord is this reverential awe, reverence for His power and His glory, but also a proper respect and reverence for His wrath and His anger. To fear the Lord is a total acknowledgement of all that God is, which comes through knowing Him and His characteristics and His attributes. And that only comes through faith. See, the thing is, is we want faith. We want to operate our lives in faith. But I promise you, if you live a life of faith, not far behind, trailing at a close pace, is fear. That's just how it is. And you have the spirit of fear that the Bible talks about. This spirit of fear, this timidity. And the Bible says that we should overcome that. And we find in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So there's a spirit of fear that freezes you. But then there's this fear of the Lord that enables us to understand who God is and it kickstarts our faith. Because maybe we see this scary, fearful situation that God's on the water saying, come on. And we're afraid, we're frozen, but in that instant when we're frozen, we're like, wait a minute. I know who's standing on the water telling me to come and He is good. He is faithful. That's fear of the Lord that brings about faith. And we walk on the water and everybody else around us looks at us like we're crazy. But at the end of our lives, we were the ones that got out of the boat. Fear of the Lord brings with it many blessings and benefits. The Bible talks about in Psalm 111.10, make note of this, it should be on the screen, that it's the beginning of wisdom and it leads to good understanding. This reverential awe, this fear of the Lord says, not like, oh, I'm afraid because He's going to attack me. But you understand how awesome God is. And it puts your heart and your mind in a place of awe, of reverence. Proverbs 1.7 talks about only fools despise wisdom and discipline. It also talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of understanding and wisdom. What does Proverbs 19.23 talk about? Fear of the Lord leads to life. It leads to peace, rest, contentment. Proverbs 14, 27. That's about fear being a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. We all want to plunge deep into that fountain. That fountain of life. It begins with understanding how awesome God is. And having a reverence, a fear, and awe of who God is. And diving headfirst into that fountain. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence 
and his children have a refuge. So, a healthy fear of the Lord is a safe place. It's a good place to be. It's safe. It gives us confidence in the next step ahead of us. And what God's calling us to do, we can say, because He's calling me to come, I understand who that is. See, the thing is, is Peter... Peter was in the safest spot out of all of them because he was walking out there on the water towards the one who owns the water and calms the seas. And sometimes, you know what? Let's be honest. We get afraid. If we're honest, the spirit of fear overcomes us, doesn't it? We're not perfect. We don't have this Christian life all together, all the time. That's why you see just scattered throughout Scripture that God says, fear not. Fear not. He has to remind us, doesn't he? Fear not. Maybe he's reminding you today. Don't be afraid. I got this. I mean, what do you... I mean, some, let's be realistic. Somebody's got something big coming up. Don't you? There's somebody in this room got something big coming up. Tonight, or this morning, right now, God's saying to you, don't be afraid. Here, give me your hand. I'll walk with you through this. We see in Isaiah 40, 41.10. God tells his, his children, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, as God calls you into the fearful, unshaky waves, and He says, Come on, His hand is reaching out to you. Get out there. Yeah, you got no business walking on the water, but go. Matthew 10, 31. Jesus says, fear not, therefore you are more value than many sparrows. God is going to take care of His children. We don't have to be afraid. So many things that, make, that cause us fear. God says in His Word, you don't have to be afraid of that. Because you're my child. You are my child. You don't have to be afraid of things. Your future. Your bank account. Your decisions. What your kids are going to... I mean, there's so many things that just cause us to freeze up in fear. And we need to grab those things and surrender those to the Lord and not freeze in fear, but trust God and walk with Him. Because He's got this. The psalmist said in 56, 11, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And that's a good point. Because if you're walking with the Lord and you're in His will, you are invincible until God says otherwise. The safest place for you to be is out there on the water with Jesus. Not in the boat with the other scaredy cats. Once we have learned to put our trust in God, we will no longer be afraid of things that come against us. We would be like the psalmist who said, with full confidence, we find in Psalm 511, let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. And those who love your name may rejoice in you. So you have faith and you have fear. Now let's get back to our story today. Let's look at faith and fear in the story today in this passage in 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 23. You with me? Good. Let's look at this. 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 20. 23. Verse 1 says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go to the Philistine garrison on the other side. 
but he did not tell his father. Now his father Saul is the king, Jonathan is the prince. Him and his armor bearer, Jonathan's picking a fight. I like this story. Verse 2, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeon, in the pomegranate cave in Migron, and the people who were with him were about 600 men including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, and Shiloh. Now, I know there's a lot of listing here, but the priest is Ahijah, and the priest Ahijah is the one who's with Saul. These other people are just kind of describing who Ahijah is. It's just, it's just Ahijah. He's with Saul, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. An ephod is like a garment, it's like a, like a, like a nice jeweled, encrusted vest. It's got like a big pocket. And there's a couple of objects in there that they would use to decide what God's will is. It's like they would cast lots. And we find a couple of times in this story, that, and even in the Old Testament, you see that a lot of people would, would see what God's will was or try to find out where, where God is and where God's working, and they would cast lots. Or they would use these items. They'd bring the ark of God, and the priest would come, and he would decide what God's, what God's will is or where God wants us to go. And they would kind of... You know, fleece guys, so to speak, like that. So, include, uh, so we, we find that, that Ahijah is the priest of the Lord in Shiloh. He's wearing the ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Now, Jonathan, by himself, with his armor bearer, they see the garrison of the Philistines, an encampment of the Philistines, their enemy. The Philistines have all the sharp weapons. There are only two swords in Israel at this point. Just two, because you can track back later in the story and find that the Philistines got rid of all the Israelites' blacksmiths. The only thing that the Israelites could do is come to the Philistines' blacksmiths and sharpen their tools for, you know, farming, that kind of thing. But Jonathan, the prince, and Saul, the king, they had weapons. So we see one sword, only one of the the two swords in the army of Israel. They say, you know what, we're going to go, this this Philistine garrison, this, this encampment. Maybe, and you know, this, when you, when you look at maps and stuff like this, it might be about two miles that, that Jonathan and his armor bearer is trekking. It's not like it's, they're standing here and the encampment's at the back of the room back there. I mean, this is a, this is a crazy decision if you, if you look at it. Verse 4, within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there's a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of one was Bozes. The name of the other was Sini. One crag rose to the north in front of, the, of Michmash, and the other to the south in front of Geba. Basically, Jonathan and his armor bearer's path was between a rock and a rock. A hard place and a hard place. They had one sword picking a fight with a whole encampment of Philistines. These guys are crazy. Just faith or fear operating here. Verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, he said, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Many of you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Benny. Shadrach, Meshach, and Winnebago. I've heard maybe someone say that. What did they say? O king, you can throw us in the fire. God's able to save us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. That's good. Is that fear or is that faith? That's faith. Jonathan, with his armor bearer, 
who helps him carry his gear, saying, hey, me and you, we're going to attack the whole encampment of those Philistines over there. And God might help us. It may be that the Lord will work for us. It may be, for nothing can hinder the Lord. Nothing can hinder him from saving by many or by few. See, Jonathan understood that God is capable, right? But he also understood that, hey, he's putting his neck out on the line here. Verse 7, and his armor bearer said to him, hey, you know what? Do all that's in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I'm with you, heart and soul. I like this guy. They don't even know his name. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to them. We will show ourselves to them. Okay, good. We're not going to sneak up on night at nighttime. That's good. That's a good plan. We're going to show ourselves to them. But if they say, come to us, then we will go up to them. So, if they see us and they invite us to come, that's when we're going to come and attack. Great plan, Jonathan. Then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be a sign to us. Now let's, let's, let's think about how decisions are being made in this passage, in, the, in this time of, of God's people. You have the ark of God with the king of God's nation, Saul. Saul has the priest. They bring the ark and they get the ephod that's got the umim and the thummim. And they, they use these objects to cast lots and to figure out where God is. Jonathan, what's he doing? He's saying, if they say this, then we got this. But if they say this, then God's not, then we don't have this. And see, here's, here's the thing. This is what's great about us being on the other side of, of the cross. Us being New Covenant believers. New Testament Christians. We don't have to make decisions like this. We don't need to make decisions like this. We don't have to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this here and this here. And if in the morning it's going to do this or that, then I know God's doing this. Or I'm going to throw this up in the air, and if it lands over here, I'm going to go here, and if it lands over there, I'm going to go here. We don't have to make decisions like that. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, He rose from the grave. And when He rose from the grave, He told His followers, He said, you know what? I'm going to ascend to the right hand of my Father, but I'm going to send you the Helper, and He's going to be with you always. Why don't we have to make decisions like this? Because we have the Holy Spirit. And He gives us wisdom. He gives us discernment. And He gives us peace. So we don't have to get an ephod. We don't have to say, well, if they say this or if they say that, I'm going to... No, we, have, we wait for the Lord. We have peace. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistine. They, they said, hey, here we are. And the Philistine said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes that they're, <laughs> where they are hidden. And the men of the garrison... They held Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they said, hey, come up to us. We'll show you a thing. I like that this in the, in the original language. It, it says, hey, um, come up here. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll knock your lights out. Kind of something like that. I mean, you, got the, you get the understanding. Hey, come up here. We'll, we'll show you something. See, the garrison of the Philistine, they knew that there weren't a whole lot of weapons. With the Hebrews didn't have a whole lot of weapons. Come up to us. We will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. 
Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after them. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And, and at that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 27 men within about a half a furlough's length of an acreage of land. Was this a surprise attack, really? Well, I'm, no, see, well, here's what's happening here. So in broad daylight, Jonathan and his armor bearer show up and, and the garrison of the Philistines, they say, hey, why don't y'all come over here, we'll show you a thing or two. <laughs> and they go back to, I don't know, doing something, play, playing cards or something like that. And then, that's when Jonathan and his armor bearer said, all right, it's on, let's go. And they go and they attack. And this battle, I mean, you hear, can you hear the, the weapons clanging right now? Can you hear the armors clicking together, the swords crossing paths? Can you hear the shouts and the groans and the grunts? Do you hear that? That's happening right here. It's a fight. Whenever, if you've, if you've ever been in a fight, like, you, you tense up. and you, when, you, when you're a kid and you get in your first fist fight, man, it's bad because it's, it's a bad situation. It's a fearful situation. Your heart's racing. And it's scary. This is a scary situation here. And Jonathan and his armor bearer just run headlong into it. Why did they do this? Because they really believed, they really believed that God was going to save them. Verse 15. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked and it became a great panic. That word great panic literally translates into a trembling of God. So yes, Jonathan and his armor bearer are in a sticky situation. They act upon this situation in faith. But God shows up. This great panic, this this earthquake. This is awesome. This trembling of God. Why do we say faith is the victory? Because we know who we have our faith in. And He always wins. God always wins. Verse 16. The watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked. And behold, a multitude was dispersing here and there. So Saul and his people are trying to figure out what's the plan next. Let's try to sit here and be real careful and sort this out. Jonathan and his buddy go storming up there. And then they hear what's going on. They see that, hey man, there's some crazy stuff happening over there. And then Saul said to the people who are with him, count who's, count our people and see who's gone out from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they weren't there. Jonathan, come on, son. Again, really? Yes. Because that's who Jonathan was. Jonathan was a guy who trusted God, had faith in God. He was bullheaded and he made crazy decisions like this. Because he understood who God was. So Saul said to Ahijah, the priest that was with him, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went with him at the time, the people of Israel. Now when Saul was talking to the priest, the torment in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul's like, what do we do? The Philistines are getting whooped over there, and we're not even there yet. Well, let's come, let's bring the ark here. Let's decide what we need to do next. They're like scratching around. They're still operating in fear here. I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get stabbed. I don't want an arrow. I don't want a rock hitting me. Let's, 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 let's figure out what the Lord wants us to do. And all the while, 
The Lord is winning the battle. And they're sitting back in fear being religious. Doing what they know God's, God wants them to do. They, you know, maybe going to church, going to Sunday school. And the whole while God's got a battle that He's winning out there. They see it, they hear it, but they're stepping back in fear. Look, is God, does God have something for you out there? And you're too busy saying, well, I'll pray about it. Yeah, I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. And God's calling you to go out there. You know He's, got call, and he's calling you to something. To step out in faith. We're trying so hard to make sure all the pieces are in order. You know, sometimes we need to put ourselves in a situation where we're like, you know what? I think maybe God's calling me to do this. I'm going to go that way. And if it's not right, Lord, just shut the door. <laughs> Slam it on my face. There's been times in my life, literally, where I've prayed that. God, I believe you want me to go over here. I'm going. If it's not right, slam the door in my face. Break my nose if you have to. Break my legs if you have to. You know what? If it's not God's will, He'll shut the door in your face. And you have, you, and at that point, you haven't lost some kind of war of faith. Oh man, I, no, you won because God was shaping your faith in that. You trusted God and He said no. But what about the times where you trusted God and you said, God, I'm going to go this way. And God was in that. And you didn't see point B out there. You were at point A, all in a tizzy about what to do. And point B was over there and you didn't see how to get there. And say, you know what, God, I think you want me over here. I think you want me to do this. I think you're calling me to this. And you start walking that way. And behold, you open that door. And God is there waiting. And it's a huge blessing. Look how I called you out here. I called you to come on. And you got out of the boat. And you walked out there. And I'm here waiting on you. That's a great place to be. So... Now in verse 19. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, told him that the camp Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. He said, hold on. Look, we're, we're all being religious right here when maybe we need to go out there and fight. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went to the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was a great confusion. Now even the Philistines are fighting the Philistines. God's fighting the Philistines. The Hebrews are fighting the Philistines, and the Philistines are fighting the Philistines. Now the Hebrews had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them to, into the camp. They also turned against the Philistines. So some Hebrews were with the Philistines. They saw how the Philistines were getting beat. They said, we're not with the Philistines anymore. <laughs> and also there's a lot, and we see this right here. There were, and there were some Israelites who were... Um, who were with Saul and Jonathan, there were likewise the men of Israel who, in verse 22, who had hidden themselves in the country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, and they too followed hard after in battle. So, you have, Philist you have Hebrews that have hidden themselves. They're not really with Saul, and they're not really, really with Jonathan. It's kind of tucked away in pockets and caves like that. You have some Hebrews that actually say, you know what? We're just going to join the Philistines. It's really not working out real good right now for us in Hebrew land. You have Saul and, and, and his crew, his 600 men. And they all join forces. And this is how the battle is won. The battle is won, verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. That's great. 
The battle is won. The Lord did it. The Lord saved Israel that day. I like Jonathan. Chuck, you like Jonathan? You should. It's your son. Just kidding. I told Jonathan earlier I was going to talk about him today. And he's like, what? I like Jonathan. I like this guy, Jonathan, in this story. I like reading about this and thinking, man, what, what a foolhardy fellow he is. That is crazy. That's the kind of guy that you warn your kids about. You be careful hanging around Jonathan. He's going to get you killed. He's going to ask you to go on some crazy mission trip with him. I think we can learn a lot from Jonathan. I think we can look at Jonathan in this passage. We can look at what he had. We can look at what he possessed. We can look at his faith. We can examine like we have already the the fear and the faith factor that's going on here. What are some of the keys to Jonathan's victory? And we can look at some of the keys to Jonathan's victory real quick. First of all, Jonathan had a sharp sword. So if Jonathan had a sword and his dad Saul had a sword, and those were the only two, you think he cared for his sword? You think he kept his eye on it? He probably slept with it. Probably had it under his pillow. Jonathan always walking around with that clanging sword on his hip, on his back, put it down on, at his, on his feet while he ate. He always had a close watch. He guarded his sword. You know what? Our faith, we need to carry it close. We need to guard it. Because we can unsheath our faith in times of distress and trouble where God is calling us. And if we have a good, sharp sword ready, we can go into any battle. Any battle that God's called us to. Because we've guarded our faith. We've, We've kept it close. Now, your faith does not simply just apply to your salvation. When we talk about faith, right? We talk about faith like the chair, like intellectually understanding that this is a chair and then putting that understanding of your mind and your heart, putting that into action and having a seat. Your faith is more than just, you know, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I'm going to accept Him as my Lord and Savior. But your faith needs to be sharpened every day. Your faith goes with you throughout your whole Christian life. You know, we are to believe what the Bible says. And we are to obey it. We're, we're, we're to take a seat. Well, what does the Bible say? We need to read the Bible. Read God's Word and see what He's saying. And then apply that. Trust in faith. We are to believe the promises of God. Every day we sharpen that belief of the promises of God and we're to live accordingly. So many of us in here are gripped with fear and we could simply satisfy that fear with a simple promise from God. I'm living in the grip of fear because of this. But you find that the promise of God totally dismantles that. I'm going to take upon that promise of God and I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to live according to that promise. Pick that up every day. Guard that close to you every day. 
Look at the truth of God's Word. Agree with the truth of God's Word. And allow ourselves to be transformed by that truth. You can read about that in Romans chapter 12. We pick up our faith every day. Jonathan, all the time. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. We, trans- we let the truth transform ourselves. And we pick up that truth every day. We apply that truth every day. Just like Jonathan walked around with his sword all the time. Guard your faith. Keep it close. I suggest before your feet hit the floor, every single morning, you unsheath that faith. You look at it and examine it and you trust it with, the God, with God and say, God, let me live according to my faith today. What else did Jonathan have? He had a devoted friend. This armor bearer guy, man, he doesn't say much. He's just like, Whatever you think, pal, I'm with you. Whatever you see in your heart, do it. I'm with you all the way. So many times, so many of us have failed because we haven't had somebody walking with us close. When uh, someone graduates from the home of grace, they have an action plan. And part of their action plan is to get an accountability partner and get involved with a good church. We need people in our lives. We need somebody along for the ride. You think Jonathan and his armor bearer knew each other well? I think they did. I think they complimented each other. Notice that they were both fighting. I think maybe Jonathan might be weak at the backhand with his sword. But his armor bearer was a lefty. Who knows? You need somebody to walk with you in this journey of faith. That's how faith is. I I can imagine that that Jonathan, who's a little crazy, seems like in his armor bearer, maybe he's a little crazy too. Like most of us, if we were Jonathan's armor bearer, that day before this battle, we'd be like, look, bro, I quit, man. I'm done. I quit. You don't have to send me my last paycheck. I'm done. I quit. But no, he didn't do that. Look, you find this in the New Testament. You find this in the book of Acts. You find this in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends people out two by two. Who's charging into the Philistine camp with you? Or are you just sit back in, in fear of what's out there? No, get somebody that can walk with you in faith and y'all just charge the Philistine camp. When I was in Africa with Richie, that was hard. It was the hardest trip I've ever been on. We were overworked, underfed, and overheated. And only by the grace of God will we survive, I think. There's no way I could have done that without Richie. There's no way I could have done that. I'm looking forward, really looking forward to getting back to Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. Seeing our missionary friends over there that are working in the southern part of China. There's no way I'd go over there by myself. Good thing, because Dustin Usselton's coming with me. Faith is a journey. Faith is a battle. Every day you'll be attacked. And many of you are losing because you're a loner. You don't have somebody accompanying with you in this fight. And I think the third thing that Jonathan had that really kept him charging the 
the, gar- the garrison of the Philistines? I think he understood the faithfulness of God. When we understand the faithfulness of God, it changes everything. Why did, why did Jonathan have faith like that? What did he say? He said, For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or few. Why did he, knew, why did he know that? Because he had seen how God has proven himself to be faithful time and time again. Saul didn't understand that. Jonathan did. Jonathan had a grip on his sword. He had a grip on his friend. He had a grip on the faithfulness of God. And he was ready to take on any situation, no matter how fearful. Jonathan had faith, not fear, because Jonathan's God was faithful. Scripture speaks often of God's faithfulness. We sing about it. We lift up our voices about it. And we walk away time and time again. And we put the faithfulness of God off to the side. Over and over we learn that when God says He will do something, He does it. Even when it seems impossible. When He says something will happen, it happens. This is true for the past, the present, the future. If this weren't the case... If God were unfaithful even once, He wouldn't be God. Never once, like we sing, never once has God been unfaithful. I know that's a double negative for you, but that's true. It's a double truth with a double negative. Sorry, English teachers. The Bible says in 1 Kings eight fifty six, talks about how not, the bottom part of that verse says not, one word has failed of all the good promises that He gave. Not one word has failed. You can trust the faithfulness of God. He's with you in the battle. He's with you in the desert. When He calls you out to do something, He's with you. And He's faithful. God is eternally reliable. He's steadfast. He's unwavering, unshakable on the throne today. Tonight you will get tired and you will need to slumber. God will never rest, never sleep, never get tired. All of eternity is on the throne. That's who our God is. What can stop us? The people of God, the church of God is unstoppable. Because our God is unstoppable. Faithfulness is just one of His inherent attributes. It's who He is. He doesn't have to work on being faithful. He is faithful. The psalmist said in Psalm 89, 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as You are? O Lord, with Your faithfulness all around You. It's like God is girded in His faithfulness. Who is mighty as You are, God? Your faithfulness is like a garment encapsulating you. It's who you are. Hebrews 13, 11. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is faithful. And we find over and over in Scripture, in 2 Thessalonians, God talks about God protecting us from evil. In 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches how he sets limits on our temptation because he's faithful to preserve us. In 1 John 1, 9, it talks about how he will forgive sin. All sin will be forgiven. He's faithful and just if you confess all unrighteousness. We know God sanctifies us too. He keeps us. He prepares us. He's making us. He's shaping us. And it's all through faith. It's all through faith. 
God is so faithful. He is so faithful to our good and His glory that He did everything necessary for you to live a victorious life in faith. He did everything necessary because He's faithful. God gives faith. Have you laid your faith down today? Pick it up. Trust God with your heart, with your mind, and act upon that. Maybe you feel like you're getting beat up in the journey of faith. Well, maybe you need to understand God's faithfulness a little better. Or maybe you need an armor bearer that's charging into the Philistine camp with you. The battle is his today. The battle is his today. Again, 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Put your trust into action. Listen, folks. That, that picture that I use is kind of creepy looking. But that chair there. A chair, this chair up here. Can represent your faith. Have a seat. Trust God. He's faithful. We're going to have a time of prayer and invitation. I'd be down, I'll be down front to, to pray with you about anything. Uh, Brian will be over here as well. He's still awake. I know they just got back from camp. How's your faith today? Maybe God's calling you to do something. And maybe it's something that ought to happen tomorrow. And you're a little bit afraid. Come lay your fear down here. Lay it down and walk back to your seat in faith, not fear. Make the decisions in your life based on faith, not fear. Have a seat. Have a seat. Trust and obey. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your precious word. God, we thank you so much for the gift of faith. Lord, I pray today, God, as we sit here and as we hear your word, God, and we wrestle with certain things that we're dealing with, Lord, I pray, God, that we would have the faith to act upon what you are doing in our hearts. Whether it's to lay something down at your feet for the first time. Whether maybe it's simply the truth of the gospel has awakened our heart for the first time. And we want to come and say yes to Jesus for the first time. Lord, I pray that you give us faith to act. Lord, I pray that you give us faith to act. We pray this in Jesus' good name.